This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. This time on the Out of Water Podcast, we're talking about the subject of anxiety. Sam, anxiety in what sense? What are we what what are we going after today? Well, before we start, we want to make very clear that we're talking about situational anxiety. Now, situational anxiety is is anxiety that everybody can relate to just being a part of the human race. We all walk around with anxieties. And so part of treating those anxieties is preaching to ourselves and telling ourselves truths that help us to overcome them. But there's another kind of anxiety that's clinical anxiety. Right. And that is goes a step beyond. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's um, whether we're talking, I mean, my case wasn't anxiety. In my case, it was depression. I had displaced anger issues. And that's another thing, by the way, I think that we need to let people know that anxiety and depression manifest themselves differently in different people. Mm-hmm. Anxiety isn't always, I feel nervous. There's many different ways, and we'll get into that, how anxiety manifests itself. And depression is the same way. People think of depression as, I sit on the couch and I'm, I'm weeping all day and I'm eating bonbons. And that's not it. In my case, it was, I'm angry. You know, what are you angry about? I don't know. Well, it was displaced anger. So, uh, and you know, my my journey in that was that I was diagnosed as clinical depression, and I was given the magic little pill, bupropion. Uh, and the first time I took it, it was like flipping a light switch. Suddenly, I wasn't randomly angry anymore. So, when you have a situation like that where you're being treated by a professional and you're being given a medication, that's kind of different from this. What we're talking about now, we're talking about anxiety that we all feel that doesn't result from a body chemistry problem or a brain chemistry problem rather where we have to have professional intervention correct right and so even you'd say that even on your medication you still have to take in these truths and tell yourself the truths to overcome yeah things that would typically make anybody sad so these things are helpful to everybody it's just somebody that's suffering from clinical depression or clinical anxiety actually has a physiological issue that needs to be addressed yeah and that's and that's something that you need to be talking to your doctor about that a medical professional will help you with that that's we're not intending to treat you medically here we're talking about those sort of normal everyday anxieties that we all have So, Drew, why don't we start with this sort of basic question, which is, what are some of the most common reasons for heightened anxiety? Why do people feel anxious? I think there's tons of reasons, but this week, to actually get my mind thinking on this topic, we sent out an email to our whole staff and just wanted to kind of pick their brains on their understanding and experience with anxiety. And we asked them this question of what are the common sources of anxiety in your own life? And here are just a few examples that they provided. So they said things like identity, future, your finances, a lack of downtime, your relationships, whether that be marriage or parenting, your friendships, time at work, or being a student and not feeling like you have enough time to get stuff done, or just looking at your never-ending list of things to do in a day. Other people mention things like triggers, so being reminded of things maybe in the past that they've gone through, and then just feeling a well of anxiety rise up at the thought of ever walking through something like that again. A lack of control was mentioned. Also comparison, so looking around and seeing where other people are and maybe feeling like you don't quite measure up. 
And lastly, something that a lot of people pointed out was just this overwhelming sense of expectation that they feel from whether that be society or their family, their coworkers, or even really from themselves. And just this overwhelming pressure to be where we think that we ought to be or where someone else thinks we ought to be and how that can just produce so much anxiety in all of our lives. So it's a pretty complex web of things, it sounds like. It's not just one thing. It's lots and lots of different things that can produce anxiety. Absolutely, yeah. But Sam, is there something here that is sort of a common thread to these different sources of anxiety? Yeah, I think one one of the things when people talk about expectations, you know, and all of those that are, are staff members listed, they have expectations for those things. They have expectations of how relationships are going to go or how finances are going to go or how, you know, a project is going to go, the work of their hands and labors and everything else. And so there's the common thing that comes in to create anxiety is we have this picture of what we desperately want to see, but in reality, we really don't have control over any of it. Mm-hmm. And and there's this there's this deep understanding in us that we want to see a particular outcome, but we don't control it, and so that creates anxiety. And then we begin to wonder, what if? What if? What if it doesn't happen? What what if something worse happens? And so there's this fear of the unknown. And those two things, the lack of control and the fear of the unknown, come and they generate anxiety in all those issues. Hmm. Yet I don't want people that are listening to this to maybe feel like. You know, well, that's a really simple answer, you know, <laughs> because I, I think there's people out there that, that probably think, well, I've got anxiety over things that it's not a lack of control. It's not a fear of the unknown. I mean, people are anxious about medical things, diseases, and ser- some serious, there are some serious things out there. Um, I'm thinking now, Drew, about the difference between anxiety and fear. I mean, there's a, there's a difference between anxiety and fear. I mean, if I, you know, if I've gotten a bad diagnosis from the doctor, if I've gotten, I can be anxious, but it's also a fearful thing. And I, and I, I think that one of the things about anxiety, would you agree, is this sense that um, it's, it is kind of an unknown thing as opposed to the fear, which comes from, you know, I've, I've fallen off the cliff and I see the ground approaching. That's fear. Hmm. I'm not anxious about that. I know what's going to happen when I get there. It's not going to be good. I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. So is there, is it, do you see a difference between fear and anxiety or is that just in my head? No, I do see a difference. And I think to your question about anxiety, and you kind of noted that anxiety is very unknown. Right. And I know that for myself, I am by nature, sometimes I love it and sometimes I don't, but I'm very complex and I overanalyze everything that I think and everything that I feel. And so when somebody asks me or or is willing to listen to me talk about <laughs> why I'm anxious, I could go on and explain all the ways that it's connected. And it's like a spider web. And in my mind, it all it's all connected. It's very complex. And I, I imagine that there's people listening who will feel like, their experience of anxiety is super complex, that it's not simple. It probably doesn't feel simple in their minds. Mm. But I do think that what's helpful is two things that have been helpful for me at least, is one, that nobody nobody knows your experience of anxiety because they're not you. That's true, yeah. 100%. And that is important for us to you know, no, recognize that, that yeah. even if we express experience and anxiety over the same exact thing, we still aren't the same people. And so the way that that affects me or the way that I experience that is by nature going to be different. And that is okay. And so I do think it's helpful to recognize, yeah, we're different. And so I can't understand, even if you gave me your best speech, I'll never understand in detail and by experience what you're going through because I can't. However, I think that in this conversation of anxiety, it is really helpful to ask ourselves, is it possible that there's something deeper 
Is it possible that there is something that goes beyond the surface of whatever we may think it is that's causing anxiety? And is it possible that there is a fear of control or a fear of the future or a fear of anything that Mm. is kind of welling that up in us? Okay. So there are, you know, and and we don't want people to feel like we're trying to give them simple answers to complex questions. There are, of course not. Yeah. There's, you know, it all of this sort of thing. Dealing with anxiety can be a long process and an involved process for people. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want anybody that listens to this podcast to ever feel like, you know, oh, we're saying you should just be able to snap out of it because it's not that easy. No, we we all know that it's not that easy in yeah. our own lives. We've talked about that with each other, so yeah. we know that these are complex things. So anxiety, Sam, isn't anything that's new anxiety has been around for a long time but our culture seems to be experiencing a dramatic rise in anxiety what kind of examples are we seeing of that yeah so so you look at the different mental health organizations and they'll tell you that anxiety just unseated in this last decade has unseated depression as the number one uh, clinical diagnosis interesting anxiety is on the rise and and you look particularly at these younger generations and their numbers in terms of anxiety are skyrocketing. And so everybody's looking at them wondering, why in the world is this crippling anxiety hitting these younger generations so hard? But the numbers are pretty intense. Like right now, they estimate that there's around 40 million adults in the United States, that's almost one in five people, that have anxiety disorders. Um, wow, and that's, you think about that. Think about this, there's three of us in this room if there was two more people in here, one of us would have an anxiety right. disorder. And mm-hmm. all of us, all of us are walking wow. around with anxiety. Sure. But to have something where it rises to the clinical level, yeah. where it's it's all-consuming and you need external help to overcome it. Um, that's, just, that's astonishing. So, yeah, and anxiety is one of my very least favorite things. I mean, when Drew was going through that list, I mean, I could, I could pick just about any one of those and relate it to some anxiety that I feel in my life. Mm. Um, I am somebody who's by nature a people pleaser. I'm somebody who by <laughs> nature wants my life to count, and I want, you know, I want my identity to matter in this world. And so as I'm living, I feel anxiety in just about all of these avenues of my life. Mm. And for the younger generation, this I, I grew up, I was born in 1978, I'm 41, but when I was going up, going through school, it was the beginning of the self-esteem movement. And one of the things that they thought, with the best of intentions during that era, was that if we tell everybody that they're a winner, and they're the best, and everybody gets a trophy, and there's no failure, and there's no, there's no suffering and pain, you know, nothing should ever go wrong in your life. Well, we went through that generation, and then we got out into the real world, and we realized, you know what? Not everything is always roses. Hmm. There, there are hardships. There is pain. And so the younger generations that are coming through, my generation and the ones that have come up after, they're walking into the world, and they've been taught you know, and protected from failure and, and from suffering so much that now they're going out into the world, and they're, they're coming across hardships, and it's rocking them to their core. Um, it's it's those expectations, you know. Mm-hmm. We're brought up believing my life is going to matter, and I'm going to do amazing things, and I'm going to be the best at this, that, and the other. And then we get out in the world, and the world pushes back a little bit. Mm. And if our identity, if our identity is in becoming the best, and we learn we're not going to be the best, then it crushes us. Practical parenting that would be helpful is to teach children resiliency. To let them know 
that they have failed and to let them know that there's a freedom to fail, that it doesn't determine your identity, that you're still loved, that you're still safe, but you're going to learn from this experience. And so in doing so, you you learn that failure is not the end of the road. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a catapult to lead you to better things. It, it, it actually helps you. And so without having that track record of learning resiliency, we look at the dam and any possible failure that might, you know, the water might come through, we're plugging it up, desperately trying to never, ever taste failure, where I think the far better way to live and the freer way to live is to teach our children and to teach ourselves this truth that, you know what, hardships are going to come. You know, the Bible tells us that when we go through suffering, that that suffering is producing in us character. If if I were to say, what were the most formative moments in your life? What what has shaped you to be a better person? I would be willing to bet for both of you, they're hardships. So there's this undeniable surge in anxiety. So how do we begin to address this issue, Drew? I think the best way to begin talking about anxiety is to begin on the same playing field and understanding that we're all in this together. Like none of us are exempt from anxiety. None of us are going to are beyond it. It it can touch all of us in tons of different ways. And so I think just this understanding that you're not alone. Like if you are experiencing anxiety in your life right now, you are absolutely not alone and you are in good company of people who experience anxiety in their own way. And so I think that's important hmm. to start there. Do you think people that are feeling anxious feel alone? Is that a common side effect or does it go with anxiety a lot? I know that I can when I'm feeling anxious because for me, anxiety typically causes me to look inward and focus inward. And then there's external outward maybe manifestations of my anxiety or things that are fueling it. Mm. But I think inward, I'm thinking about myself. And so when my mind is racing and swirling with thoughts or fears, it's really hard to remind myself that other people have their own things that they're struggling with. That's interesting. And that's an example of how anxiety would affect somebody personally. Sam, how would you say that anxiety affects affects you personally? What's an example? Um, I would say one of the seasons of my life where anxiety really crippled me. I served as a headmaster for seven years. Mm -hmm. And in that role, when I first came in, my first two years, I inherited a school where enrollment was not doing well, where deficits were pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, The school was unhealthy in a number of ways. And so when I took it over, I didn't have great expectations on me, but everything was magical, and the school, by God's grace, started doing really well, and we set enrollment records, and our test scores were flying through the roofs, and we started turning surpluses, and things just kept getting better and better. And after the first year, I thought, oh my goodness, God is so good. Look at what he's done here. And it was exhilarating. And so I went into the second year kind of thinking, oh, I hope nobody finds out that I really have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then God blessed that year and, and same thing, enrollment records and everything started going. And everybody started coming up to me saying, Sam, I'm so proud of what you've done with that school. And guess all my pride inside me went, this is mine. Mm. And people are praising me for it. And this has become my identity. And so where before these challenges were something, you know, it, it was exciting to, to try to come up with a solution. Now, all of a sudden, my identity became wrapped up in protecting this image, this growth of a school, having new records to set and all that stuff. And so anything that became a threat to the picture of health at the school directly threatened my identity. Hmm. 
And man, every time anything would go wrong, rather than being an exciting challenge, it became a, no, you can't take this away from me. What are people going to say if the school doesn't do well? And so that anxiety began to cripple me. I mean, really, and I began to hate many, many aspects of my job and to the point where I would work myself in, in such stress to ensure that I kept the picture alive. Uh, and things were going well. The school was doing sure. well, but any yeah. threat to it, any threat to it was threatening how people saw me, their expectations of me, my expectations of myself. And man, it became overwhelming. It's interesting. John Quincy Adams, after he left the presidency, went back into Congress, got elected to Massachusetts, and he fought with everything he had to abolish slavery. And he never saw it come in his lifetime, but he would go to the floor and he would argue that slavery was an abomination and they hated him for it. They, they couldn't stand that he kept bringing this up. It was, a, it was a sore topic. And so they even censured him and said, you're not allowed to speak about it. And he'd keep speaking about it. And so eventually he's leaving the Capitol one day and a newspaper reporter stopped him and said, why are you doing this? You're destroying your legacy. Why in the world do you keep bringing this up? You know nothing's going to change. And he gave a response that is the antidote to anxiety for me. He said, duty is ours. Results are God's. Hmm. Duty is ours. Hmm. Results are God's. Hmm. And so when you walk around in that and say, hey, I'm going to do what I can, regardless of what it is, whether it's work, relationships, whatever, I have a responsibility and I'm going to do my very best. But then there comes that moment we talked about earlier where the fear of the unknown and your total lack of control, if you try to grab hold of those things, they will only take you down to the depths of the sea. You can't do anything with them. And so that's where you have to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I can, but the results totally belong to God, and I trust him with them. Hmm. That's good. Where I feel anxious most of the time, I feel anxious because I, I'm expected to know things, right? You guys should both nod at that, because generally speaking, around people assume that I know a lot of things. I give that aura off that I know stuff, and I do know many things. I know a whole, I know a little bit about a lot of things, and I know quite a bit about just a couple things. But I do know a little bit about a lot of things, which kind of creates this false impression that Mark knows everything. And so I get given things to do all the time. They're like, you can do this, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> They're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And then I go home and I think I've never done this before. <laughs> And so I feel an enormous amount of anxiety while I am learning what I need to learn in order to do it. And I never admit, I st just now I'm admitting, but no one that we work with is going to listen to this podcast, so it's going to be <laughs> fine. I never admit that I don't know what I'm doing. I, I suffer anxiety while I'm learning what I'm doing, but my, my tendency to go, yeah, I can do that gets me that's there's my source of anxiety is i can't i have a hard time admitting that i have no idea what i'm doing here um you know so and, and and i go out and learn it i have learned so many things in this job that i didn't know how to do before just because i'm like someone's got to do it i can do that you know I'm like all right here we go and i you know i mean those are some really high anxiety moments for me while i'm like desperately trying to find the answer to something and trying to do it quickly enough that nobody is able to figure out that I bet he doesn't know what he's doing, you know. Yeah, so. I think we all have some of that where we're where we're trying to protect that image, and and so 
really one of the exercises of faith as a Christian is to be able to go to the Lord with all of those things and to lay them at his feet and say, you know what, I trust you with them. One of the things of that story that I just found out recently, which I think is just a wink from God, it's a really beautiful thing, John Quincy Adams died before the abolition of slavery. He actually died in the speaker's chambers in the Capitol. Hmm. Do you know who one of his pallbearers was? Hmm. It was a freshman congressman from Illinois named Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) How about that? And so he's going, God brought about the abolition of slavery by one of the pallbearers of John Quincy Adams. Yeah. Hmm. What then does the Bible have to say about anxiety? I mean, let's, if we're, if we recognize that, that anxiety deals with our, you know, our limitations, our failings as people, if God has no limitations and never fails, (laughs) what does the Bible have to say about anxiety? The Bible has a lot to say about anxiety, and, and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives actually quite a, quite a bit of time to anxiety where he's, he's saying, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, or what you put on. Um, he says, look at how I take care of my creation, the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. Do you realize, like, I died for you. Mm-hmm. I went to a cross. You're so precious to me. Trust me when I tell you, you have no reason to be anxious. And so this is one of those moments where faith is such a huge help to us because the most common command, the most repeated command in all of Scripture is do not fear. Mm-hmm. Now, if you told me I have no reason to fear, yeah, I'm going to say, okay, yeah, thanks, Mark. <laughs> but, you know, this voice that's coming through the scriptures that repeatedly tells us, do not fear, don't be afraid, don't be. The voice that's telling us that is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who knows all of our yesterdays, who knows all of our tomorrows, who knows how our story plays out. He's the only one who has absolute authority to say to us, Sam, you have no reason to fear. Trust me. And that's, that gets back to that point again where we can lay it down to him. But an, another one of my favorite things about anxiety is God doesn't just come in his character and say, get over it. Lay it down at my feet. Get over it. Snap out of it, Sam. One of my favorite stories about anxiety in the scriptures, the story of the prophet Elijah. And if you know his story, this guy he is so blessed of God. Like everything that he encounters, God gives him a victory. He, he allows him to do mighty things. I mean, he goes up one prophet of God against all these prophets of Baal and Asherah, these pagan gods, and he's successful in front of the entire nation. He has success upon success upon success, but he's so tired of the battle. He's so tired of battling for his nation's soul that after his greatest success on Mount Carmel, it takes Queen Jezebel one comment that says, I'm still not going to let go, and I'm going to have your life by tomorrow, and Elijah crumbles. Here's the the mighty prophet Elijah. He crumbles, and he runs, and he lays down under a broom tree, which is actually where Hagar and Ishmael went after they were rejected, and so Elijah's saying, I'm no better than them. I just, I'm done. He says, I don't want to live anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm worn out. I'm tired of fighting. I don't have it anymore. I mean, here's a guy that's racked with anxiety and burnout and fear and all these things. And I love what the Lord does. The Lord doesn't just come and say, hey, lay it at my feet and get back to work. The angel of the Lord comes to Elijah as he's sleeping, wakes him up, gives him a meal, lets him go back to sleep and rest. Hmm. When Elijah's rested, he wakes him up. He takes him in his strength 
to Mount Sinai where he's going to show him his character and protect him and show him that inside with him, the fire and the earthquake and the storm can't get to him. And one of the things I love is when he lifts him up from under the broom tree, he doesn't say, okay, now back, back to the battle, go north, back to the battle. He takes him south to solitude and the Lord just spends time with him, showing him that he's enough. He's, he's tender to those that are, that are worn out, to those that are, that are in fear and anxiety. The Lord doesn't just say, snap out of it. Mm. He comes, and he lets you sleep, and he cooks you a meal, and he mm. prepares you, and he carries you in his strength. That's the nature of our God. And so we need to give ourselves permission to rest in him and to not be, feel this need to snap out of it all the time in our own strength. No, there's times where we need to lay before the Lord and all of our brokenness and weakness and allow his strength to carry us. And it's so much more than Elijah. I mean, you go through the, the great heroes of the Old Testament and how many of them suffered through anxiety, even to the point where they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live anymore. And you've got names like Moses and Job and the Apostle Paul and all these wonderful, unbelievable, heroic people. And so if you're, if you're filled with anxiety, um, there you have, you're in great company with characters from the Bible. But what we also need to do is to say, you know, these guys had anxiety, but where did they go with it? How did they find the, the balm to get healed from this anxiety? Okay, that's a good question. Where did they go with it? I think they remembered who God was. I think that's the, for me in my own life, and when I look at scripture, that is so much of what I see is remembering who God was because, who God is, because when I remember that, I'm reminded of who I am. And that directly influences and changes everything that I'm experiencing. Because anxiety is this fear, this fear of what ifs or or the past or the future. It's, it's this crippling lack of control, fear of the unknown. And I think for for us to remember who God is reminds us of the truths that scripture tells us that we're secure. Yeah. Like our our ability to have peace is not rooted in this life. It's not rooted in our identity. It's only rooted in him. And that is quite literally the only reason I think that we are able to not have anxiety. I think one of the things that you look at and you see this in the Old Testament where God will deliver his people through this unbelievable victory, something that seemed utterly hopeless. And then afterwards, what he'll say is, okay, I want you to to set up memorial stones there. So So that you don't forget. So that you don't forget, right? And Mm so you walk all over Israel in the ancient world and there are these memorial stones everywhere. And I think it would be a really good thing for us, like Drew's talking about, that the antidote for that is to remember who God is. Look at your own life and see how, in worst-case situations, God has walked with you through them. Those are the memorial stones of your life to where when you come to the next thing that seems impossible, you remember what God did the last time it seemed impossible. Okay, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe here's our practical tip for people in this era of the iPhone and the or, or whatever phone you have, the smartphone, where everybody's vlogging and recording things is that you need to make some memorial stones for yourselves, folks. You need to, you know, when when you have when you've gone through this hard situation and you've seen God bring you through it, that you need to talk to your future self. You know, you need to make that memorial stone and say, "I want to tell a story about what happened today, and about how God." This is my memorial stone, and I'm gonna I'll call the movie Memorial Stone when I save it, and then eventually it's something that we can go back and look because you're right. I think about all those things. They even invented names for places based on what God did for them there, and that's still the name of those locations today. Right? Mm. Yeah, that's that's very cool. So. 
then is that the antidote to anxiety? Is that what we're prescribing? Is this, is this idea of knowing who God is? I mean, where, where, do we, where do we go with that? What are we suggesting is the antidote to anxiety? I think knowing who God is is yeah. definitely the foundation there. But I also want to share a verse. It's a verse that is commonly shared when talking about anxiety. Uh-oh. But I think that it oftentimes oh, okay. potentially gets mis- misused okay. or um, inappropriately timed. Okay. <laughs> but Philippians 4 is this infamous passage, right, yes. where, where Paul writes and he says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what I love about that verse is that that verse is not a Band-Aid. It's not meant to just slap on so that when you're anxious, you just, oh, well, don't be anxious. And it's not meant to be a hammer. God's not coming in that verse and saying, stop being anxious, get over it. But I'm reminded that God knows us. He knows that we are prone to be anxious. Mm. We are prone to fear. And so I see it as this gentle call and this reminding that the Lord is at hand. And if we know who God is and we remind ourselves of who he is, that he is gentle and he is good and he works everything together for our good, then when we hear that he is at hand, there's this invitation to lay anxiety down and instead receive the peace of Christ. Mm. It's this exchange. It's not this, again, like I think sometimes when I hear this verse, I feel like people can maybe unintentionally even shame. We can shame each other by saying, don't be anxious. You're not supposed to be anxious. But I think we're missing maybe the gentleness of God calling us to exchange our anxieties instead for the peace that he has purchased for us through the death and the resurrection of his son. And Mm. so... He highlights some ways to do that, right? This isn't a formula like A plus B equals C, but it's this relationship with God where in everything, in all things, by prayer, by supplication, and with gratitude, with thanksgiving, we come to God. We lay it all before him, and as we do, it's not like maybe you'll get peace. It's He promises us. He says that as we do that, what he provides in exchange is that he guards not just our hearts, but our minds, and if we're anxious, we know that our minds are the things that feel plagued with those thoughts and those fears. And so this verse to me, it's powerful. Like what is the antidote to to anxiety you're asking? I just think it's knowing that the Lord is at hand Mm. and believing who he is and, and trusting in that and hearing his gentle call to lay all things before him and to come to him. He's giving us permission in that sense to be weak. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, the same guy, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians that we just talked about, also wrote the book of of 2 Corinthians. And in there, the guy who says, don't be anxious about anything, talks about how he struggles with anxieties, which, which I love. You know, he's real. He shows you what he's been through. And there's this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talks about all these physical sufferings that he's been through. You know, he's been whipped and beaten with rods and shipwrecked, and he lives in fear of his countrymen and all these people on his journeys. And when he gets done with that, he says, and on top of all this stuff, I live in daily anxiety for the sake of my churches, the mm. churches that he'd plant. He, he wore that, like he was concerned about how they were doing all the time. And you get to the very next chapter, and Paul gets directly talking about this idea of weakness, and he says something that's really profound. He says, you know, there was this thing that plagued me, and I went to the Lord multiple times, and I prayed for him to relieve me of it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then he relays Jesus' words, and this is also an antidote for anxiety. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient. Oh, that word is so good. My grace is sufficient for mm. you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah. And so one of, the, one of the antidotes to anxiety is not just stopping and remembering who God is, but it's, it's enjoying the freedom to acknowledge who God says we are. Mm. And it's, this is it. We're weak. We're weak. Like we can't control everything. We need our Father. We need we need to be honest and say I can't measure up because hmm. we live under this pressure. And the gospel frees us from that. Right? Anxiety comes when we want to meet everyone's expectations. We want to meet our own expectations. We want to meet God's expectations. And Jesus is coming to us saying, "No, you can't. You're too weak. You'll never measure up to the standards that God has for you." But here's the deal: you're so loved radically loved that I will do it for you Mm. and I will take your penalty. I'll suffer on the cross to take all the condemnation away from you so that you can walk in freedom. And here's the deal. When God comes to me and tells me, hey, Sam, you're a mess and I know it and I love you enough to go to a cross. Do you know how freeing that is? That's not not heaping guilt on me that I'm Mm. not good enough. It's allowing me to finally be honest with the world to say, somebody sees me and loves me anyway. I can tell you that I'm not enough. I can walk in the freedom of not having to be good enough. Yeah, That is an antidote for anxiety. My goodness, I am loved even though he sees me to my very bottom. And he meets you where you're at. He doesn't come to you and say, get it together, stop being anxious, but he calls you right where you are and he meets you in the thick of it. That's so liberating to know that he knows all of it and he still loves us the same so that's a lot of very profound stuff why don't we try to kind of wrap it up for people by talking about some practical things what are some practical like next steps that we can suggest for people what what are some areas we can direct them to i think i want to begin by saying two things which is i think that i would encourage people that there are really helpful and unhelpful ways to begin this conversation about anxiety, whether you're sharing with someone about your own anxiety or whether you're gonna listen and be available to someone else to share about their own anxieties. Because one of the things when we send out that email to our staff, we kind of ask them in their experience, what have they found to be helpful that people have done or said? And, And on the flip, what have they found to be unhelpful? Things that people have done or said in the midst of their anxiety. And so I think I would just encourage people in your own life, some of the unhelpful things that I would encourage someone to avoid is either telling yourself or telling someone else things like, don't worry, it's not that big of a deal, or just get over it, work through it, things will get better, Mm -hmm. or telling yourself or someone else like, you just gotta pray harder, you just gotta have more faith and believe and then it'll be be easier, it'll go away. Yeah, that's crushing, right? (laughs) It is. Or saying things like, uh, you got to chill and just let it go. Just just choose to let it go. Just stop being anxious. I think things like that are so unhelpful, whether we're saying it to ourselves or to someone sitting across from us. But on the opposite side of that, I would encourage people that it's really freeing and helpful when you're able to both tell someone else and yourself, it's okay. <laughs> like You're not alone, and it is okay that you feel weak. It is okay that you are struggling in this way. And he, like to listen to that and to lean into that. Yeah. And so I think I would just encourage people like don't don't be afraid to to be seen in those things. And also um 
give people permission, give yourself permission to share and to work through that stuff where you're at and not maybe where you think you should be. Let me ask a related question to that though. How, when it's you that's facing the anxiety, what about like self-care? What are some things that are important that people can do for themselves to make sure that they're not crippled by their yeah. own circumstances? What what kind of things can people do to help themselves deal with anxiety? Oh, I love that question. There's so many things. I, a huge one that Sam and I, you, we talked about this a lot this week. It is incredible when you see how much even just your physical health directly affects your anxiety levels. It's insane. And so Things like prioritizing sleep and getting good good amount of sleep every night mm. is huge. It's so important. Or things like uh, taking care of your diet, making checking how you're eating, or exercise. Like these things are hugely important. And I know in my own life, when I'm anxious, those are typically the first things that I let go because I'm like, I don't have time for that. I'm too, <laughs> That's true. I'm too overwhelmed. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm going to get less sleep or I'm going to eat fast food or I'm not going to work out because I just don't have time. When what I'm not realizing in that moment is that that has long-term effects. Yeah. And so practically take care of yourself, rest, get sleep, eat well, exercise. But also I would say a huge one is practice gratitude. Like instead of focusing on all of the things that you don't have or all of the things that are causing you anxiety, take time. And this is a discipline I really do think, but take time to still yourself as best as you're able and reflect on the things that you are able to be grateful for. Mm. The things that are actually happening in your day that you can be grateful for. That This practice revolutionized my life. I studied abroad back in college for six months and to be quite honest, what I wanted to tell people was that that was this magical time in my life, but it was pretty miserable for a solid two months because hmm. I was re- for tons of reasons. But it was so miserable that truly days felt long. And I, the very first week I was there, I wanted to go home almost night one, and I was crippled by anxiety every single day, anxious about getting sick, anxious about being unsafe and being lonely, just so many things. And I committed to every single day I had to write three things down that I was grateful for. Mm. And I'm telling you, when I look back at my journals, there are days that I would write like, there weren't cockroaches in my beans today. Or, <laughs> like, or the bugs on my bed, there was less. <laughs> you know, like there was wow. very, and because really at that time, some days I felt like I didn't have much to be grateful for. But it was it's really cool to look now and see how God just deepen that and how Mm. that process of committing and some days it was hard to think of things but having to choose to commit to being grateful it it transformed the way that i thought and honestly it took time though like that was a process and so that would be another huge one that i would really encourage people is to to practice being grateful and I, let me I, let me ask you a question, Sam, because you're the you're the pastor, you're the preacher. I hear you say this all the time: preach truth to yourself. What does that mean when we say preach truth to yourself? When I say that you have to preach truth to yourself constantly, it's a recognition of just how weak we are and how quick we are to forget who God is mm. and how much we need Him. You know, we're constantly wanting to make life all about us and to lean on our own strength and to do things according to our own wisdom. And usually when we do that, almost always when we do that, we end up making a mess of our lives. We end up in these pits of anxiety and sadness. And so I think one of the things that we do have to do is every day you wake up, you renew your commitment to live for something beyond yourself, mm-hmm. to, to accept the grace of God given to you, to, you know what? 
to, to boast of your weaknesses, as Paul says, to not be afraid of your limits and, and not to let them crush you with anxiety. And, and I think you need to remind yourself of that. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day because we're mm. quick to forget it. Yeah. Now, let's, we, we talk about the you are not alone. How important is it to be able to reach out to somebody, Drew? It's huge. <laughs> I'm such a big believer in that. I think one of the most freeing things is when you're sitting across from somebody and you can just hear them say, yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I, maybe I don't understand your exact situation like we talked about earlier, but you're not alone. Like that is so freeing and it just brings those walls come crumbling, crumbling down. So don't carry it on your own. No, don't carry it on your own and find someone who's safe and who you can trust, who's proven trustworthy in your life that you can go to and you can share your anxieties with and invite them into that with you because Mm -hmm. also scripture talks a lot about that, that we don't have to carry these things alone and that we can walk with each other. We can help each other in this struggle with anxiety. And one of the things that a good friend uh, or, or a spouse can do for you is, is they kind of hold up a mirror of objective reality in front of you. Because when you're, when you're prone to anxiety, when you're in the midst of it, you, you tend to interpret everything as the, you know, the sky is falling, everything is terrible, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. the worst the is going to happen. Yeah, and so you know, I'm lucky enough, my wife, Laura, who I've mentioned before, you know, she's so wonderful to hold up the mirror and to say, Sam, you're not seeing reality Clearly, do you realize? And then she'll show me how my feelings are leading me astray. She'll and or if and one instance I can remember where you know I was coming home and I was complaining about this amazing ministry. You know, I love this church and I love the school, but there's days where I would come home and I would just start complaining about things that had been dumped on my lap. And she would go, you know, your your issue is not those things. Your issue is you're not grateful to have those things. Hmm. You know, you, hmm. rather than thinking about how precious it is that you have the opportunity to be in relationship with this person, you're you're reducing it just to this problem. And so to have somebody who is a mirror in front of you to show you yourself that you can trust. You know, the Proverbs hmm. say that the wound of a friend is faithful. You can trust when they say something hard to you. But then also somebody who can come alongside of you and give you a hug who you know has struggles with you to make you realize you're not alone yeah. and that we're in this together. We're going to lift each other up and we're going to carry each other mm-hmm. to the finish line. To know that you're not in the battle alone is so wonderful. And, and it really is encouraging to put one step in front of the other when you're, when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. So let's put a bow on it. What are some recommended resources that we can give to people? Well, I would say one that really helped me is a book called Mind Over Mood by Dennis Greenberger. And this is not necessarily like a book. It's more of a workbook. And it has lots of flow charts and questions. It's very interactive. Mm -hmm. But it was actually a resource that my counselor recommended to me at a time that I was really, really wrestling with anxiety. And I found it to be super helpful. So I would really encourage people to look into that if you're interested in more of an interactive um, book. But additionally, I would encourage people to look at Resources like Desiring God, that's a website that has just so much to offer, whether it's articles or podcasts, you you can go in the search and type anxiety and it will just provide for you literally thousands of articles and sermons and just really awesome resources. And so I found that to be another really helpful resource. That came out of the ministry of John Piper, a guy who uh, is in the habit of telling me things I don't enjoy hearing about myself. But he's, he's a very honest preacher, John Piper is. Yeah. He's wonderful. And another book is uh, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest by Edward T. Welch. 
And uh, for those that feel like anxiety has taken a toll on you to where you feel burnt out or worn out by life, there's a great book called Leading with a Limp by Dan Allender that's worth checking out. Very good. Uh, Also, my wife recommends uh, Calm My Anxious Heart by Linda Dillon. Uh, She read that book uh, years ago, and it meant a lot to her. Very good. Well, we'll have all of these resources listed in our show notes on our website at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. If if you missed any of this, if you were driving and couldn't write it all down, we'll have those things online for you in the show notes so that you can pick those up at your leisure. Uh, We do encourage you to communicate with us if there's things that you heard on today's show that you have questions about. There's things that you want to share with us. Our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. And as always, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, to like it, to vote for it, because we want more people to listen and to get good information like that. And we will see you next time. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.